We are continuing, continuing our series about great faith, and we are trusting that this year will be indeed a year of great faith for all of us. We are trusting that the dreams that you and God have together, the prayers you've prayed, the the life you've lived will bear fruit in great exploits, great breakthroughs, new experiences in him, just a strong witness of Jesus through your life to the world. Amen. So this is, this is your year. This is the year that you and Jesus do something that is phenomenal. Lord, we just pray that as we continue in this sermon series on great faith, we, we align ourselves with those heroes of the faith that we see in the Bible who did things that just blow our minds, Lord God. We align ourselves with the everyday, ordinary people of the Bible who walked faithfully with you day in, day out, who brought your kingdom in, in ordinary, everyday ways, Lord God. We just, we just ask that this year would be the year that we don't falter, Lord God, that we keep in step with your spirit, that we walk exactly what you meant to, what we meant to, that we, we hear the beat of the spirit in our hearts and we keep in step with that, Lord. Father God, I ask for dreams realized, new horizons opened, wide open spaces of possibilities for our congregation this year. Lord God, just happy relationships, joyful, life-full relationships, homes and families that are whole and alive and moving on with you, Lord God. Just everything their hearts have dreamed of, realized in you, Lord God. And Lord God, I also pray this, that everything you have dreamed for us, everything you have dreamed for this church, everything you have dreamed for the city and this nation would come to pass this year in ways that just Make us realize how good you are. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. I wanted to highlight to you before I begin a prophetic word that I felt God lay on my heart for 2019. And I wrote it on my blog. And you can go ahead and find that at carolgosman.wordpress.com. I don't want to go into the details of it. But I, I sincerely believe that this year is a year of new perspectives. As Andrew has shared... Uh, I think it was three weeks back. You can also go and listen to his sermon on uh, what, what we feel like God is saying for the new year. But I, I feel like sincerely it's a year of new perspectives. It's a year of us um, sitting with him in heavenly places. In other words, not judging our environments by our emotions or by how we've judged them before, but judging them from the perspective of the victory of Christ. I believe it's a, a year of resources being poured, poured out. I believe it's a year of alignment with God's kingdom. I believe it's a year of us partnering with him for great things. So as a result, of course, it's going to be a year of breakthrough. I personally believe this, that every year is a year of breakthrough. But let this year be a year of breakthrough in its fullness in every way. Amen and amen. So go ahead and uh, read that if you want to. And um, I know that... God will speak to you in some way through that. You will remember last week we spoke from Hebrews 11. Do you remember that? And we spoke about all the different heroes of faith. Well, we mentioned them. And I, I mentioned that so many of them were listed there. And 22 times in the chapter Hebrews 11, it talks about how these people did something by faith. By faith. By faith, Abel offered to God. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. 
by faith Abraham obeyed, and etc., and etc. It just goes on. And, and clearly, this chapter was meant by the author of Hebrews to highlight to the people reading it that that before them had gone this great army of people who had believed God and in believing God had done some spectacular things. I know that you believe sincerely that you were born for something great. You know, there's, there's no child that, that at three, four, five dreams of being a failure. You know, they all have big dreams. They want to be astronauts. They want to be, um, I don't know, firemen, which seems like the greatest thing ever. You know, they, they want to be these strong, powerful, influential, great things. Maybe you can think back to the things you wanted to be. I wanted to be a teacher. I thought that was the most powerful thing that there was. Some of you who are teachers saying, yes, you're right. But... I feel like in the heart of every person, there is a desire to be something significant, for our lives to count, to come to the end of our lives and say, you know, there was a life well lived, and it mattered that I lived. I mattered to God, and I mattered to the world. I mattered to my family. And I feel like this book in the Bible was meant to say, or this chapter, should I say, was meant to highlight to the people reading it, yes, those dreams in your heart are real and true, and God sees them, and God partners with them, and God, in fact, has given many of them to you. Yeah. At the same time, he's saying, nothing great will ever be realized in you or through you unless you exercise faith in God. It's by faith that these things happen. Of course, the concept of faith is so misunderstood. You've heard it all over the place, and I spoke about this last week. For, for some, faith simply is, you know, uh, put your prayer in this slot machine, pull a handle, and ching, 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 something great will come out. And that's, that's really not how faith is. Faith, faith is simply partnering with God, partnering with Him, believing Him, standing with Him, saying, yes, God, what you say is true, and I will live my life as if that were true. Now, when we look at this great lineup of, of men, and there are some women, I haven't listed them there, but there are some women listed in this list in Hebrews 11, but when you look at them, I mean, Abraham, you know, he, he believed God for so many years. He got the son, and then he was willing to sacrifice him. You know, and it takes my breath away, and I'm like, oh, God, are you, is that what it means to be great? And all the parents said, I hope not. <laughs> God sacrificed his son so that we don't ever have to sacrifice our children. Praise the Lord. But then I look at someone like Noah. Do you understand when Noah built the ark, there had never been rain on the earth before. And he had to stand before all those mocking people who didn't pay allegiance to God and didn't really care about any godly things. And he had to say, there is going to be water that is going to fall from the sky and you're all going to be drowned by this. I mean, they didn't even know what drowned meant. You're all going to be drowned by this. So therefore, God has instructed me to build an ark. Repent, therefore, and come to God so that you can be saved in this boat. They were going, boat, rain, what are you talking about? 
I mean, God had to download all these concepts to know. It was just, you know, like a university degree in a few moments. And he did it. And, you know, I, I thank God, you know, I don't know if I can do that, that big, great thing that Noah did. Of course, if God called you to, you could do it. But it does seem overwhelming and intense and incredible. And you, I look at my very ordinary life and I ask God, does my life count in light of this? Then we see Moses standing before the Red Sea and extending his staff and parting the water and leading a whole nation through impossible situations. And again, I ask God, does my faith count in light of that big thing? Does the fact that I got up this morning or say Monday morning and I, I went to work and I had a smile on my face even when I didn't feel like it, does that count in light of Moses parting the water? Yeah. How do I get to stand with these great men and women and make my life count? God took care of it. You know, he's just amazing. He knew what you and I would be thinking thousands of years down the line. And right at the beginning of this list of great men and women who did incredible exploits, he has a man by the name of Enoch, and it's not written there. Because Enoch didn't do something by faith. Enoch received something by faith. Yeah. And right there, in chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, we hear about this man Enoch. It's the second time we hear about him in the Bible, and both times are extremely short. It's like when they wanted to write his exploits, they didn't have much to say. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for putting Enoch in there, because you know what? I don't know how much God would have to say about my life. I hope it's a lot. But you know, I packed the dishwasher yesterday, and I did it by faith. <laughs> you know, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life. So that he did not experience death. He could not be found. Because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So who was this Enoch? We know about Moses. We know about Abraham. We know about Noah. These are obvious. They have chapters. We know about Joseph. I mean, they have chapters and chapters about them in the Bible. We have to look quite far, hard, far and hard in the Bible to find Enoch. But we do find him in the book of Genesis, verse 5, and right in the middle of a genealogy. You know what that is? When this, this man had this children, and that child had that child, and that child had that child. You know the, the, the portions you skip when you're reading the Bible? Right there, right there, we have Enoch. In a couple of verses, it says, When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he had become the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. 
Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. And that's all. We never hear of him again. We don't hear where he lived. We don't hear what he did. We don't hear much. We, I mean, we hear, we hear about his son, Methuselah, who was the oldest man ever. But about, you know, he didn't even live as long as his father or as long as his sons. 365 years, 300 of those, he walked with God. And that's the sum total of his fame. And here he is in Hebrews 11 as an example of what faith looks like. And this makes me happy. Because it means that God looks at everything. It means how you speak to your spouse in the morning counts. It means how you deal with the taxis on the road counts. It means how you do your work every day counts. It means how you parent counts. It means how you date counts. It means how you live counts. We see three things said about Enoch. First of all, he walked with God. Well, we see that in Genesis. It's maybe second of all. But in the first chapter in Hebrews, we hear that he believed God and he pleased God. So three things. He walked with God, he believed God, and he pleased God. He didn't part any water. He didn't build any arks. He didn't sacrifice any sons. He didn't lead any nations. He walked with God. He believed God. And therefore, he pleased God. And God counts him as one of his greats. One of his greats. So great that God said, I am unwilling. I'm willing, unwilling to be without this one. And when he got to 365, he said, oh gosh, I can't, I can't take it anymore. I've got to have that man with me, right here with me, close to my heart. I'll let all the others live out their life and do what they have to do. That man... I'm going to take him to heaven now. One of the few people in the Bible who didn't die. He just went to be with God. I mean, I just, I just don't even know what that, did he go up in a chariot of fire? I mean, or was he just walking along the road and suddenly he wasn't there anymore? You know, what happened at 365? We don't know. All we know is that God said, that man, that man is my friend. That man I want with me. So we're going to think about a little of these, think a little about these things that he did. First of all, Enoch walked with God. I just love that. It seems so simple. It seems so doable. It seems so everyday. The funny thing about the Bible is that we often complicate it, but it's really very, very simple. From the beginning of time, believe it or not, this was God's primary objective with mankind. It talks about it in Genesis, how God came to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. 
And pretty much that's where the disaster started because they had sinned and they ran away from him. Instead of running to him to walk with him, they decided we don't want to walk with God. We want to walk alone. But clearly, in the beginning, it was his objective to live, walk, be present amongst mankind. And I've heard it said by some theologians that God's primary purpose in life, or primary purpose in creation, should I say rather, is to create a world in which he could come and live with a people. That God's primary objective is to walk with you through your life. God's primary objective for you is to walk with him through your life. He desires for your whole life to be a partnership between him and you. You and him facing stuff together. Walking with him. One of the great prophets of the Old Testament by the name of Micah, He said something that kind of summarizes this whole thing. He says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And this is in light of all the law of Moses that had been written, all the previous generations that had done exploits with God. Micah summarizing it, saying, in light of all of this, he is showing you through all of these things what is good, O man. What does the Lord require of you, he asks, to act justly? to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You've heard many times my thoughts about cooking meals. You know that I feel like I cooked supper yesterday, so why am I doing it again today? I showed you I could do it. I've ticked that box. Why does it just keep coming every day? I mean, how many meals does a person have to make to say they did it? It's just, it just never ends. And it just keeps coming. But the scripture tells me that when it's Andrew's birthday and I know he loves roast pork and I cannot stand roast pork, that, w- that when I sit there diligently making that roast pork, that this, this is faith. This is me saying, <laughs> this is me saying, I'm walking humbly with my God, not my desires, but your desires, God. But this is, this is a trivial example of something I'm trying to tell you, is that when you sit at your desk at work, and again you're doing that thing that you cannot stand. You ticked the box yesterday, but here it is again. And I, instead of just, you know, having a bad attitude and doing it sloppily, I can stand there and say, God, by faith, by faith I'm doing this. I'm walking with you. I'm walking humbly with you today. When you're standing in front of that rebellious teenager again, I know none of our teenagers are like that, you know, those, those other families. But standing again before and 
you know, instead of losing it and getting, like, overreacting, I can walk humbly with my God. I can take his hand and I can say, oh, that's interesting that you feel like that. Have you thought of this? And no, actually, you're not going to get the car, but I love you still. <laughs> I, and, you know, you, you will figure it out. You'll hold God's hand and he'll tell you what to say. But there's, there's a place where the mundane, everyday stuff, I can do it with justice, I can do it with mercy, and I can walk humbly with my God, and it counts. And it creates on this earth. This is what I want you to understand. It's not just a small thing because it creates an atmosphere in your relationship with the people around you. And in that, it creates an atmosphere in their relationships. And so it becomes this ever-increasing realm of light that spreads and, and brings God's kingdom and bring God's um, truth and life. And it means that your children grow up right, not harmed and um, distorted by what they've experienced, but able to then reach out to the next generation well and parent the next generation well. And this is ever-increasing concentric circles of light and love and goodness and truth. And... In the middle of that, God will come and ask you to build an ark. <laughs> You'll also do those big, great things. But these things count. In 2 Corinthians, there's a scripture that says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God's desire is to walk through every day with you. Walking with God means living aware of his presence and obeying his revealed word to you. Living aware of his presence. That in everything I do and everywhere I go, God is with me and I'm walking with him. It means that when I read the Bible, I do what it says. Because I'm walking with God. It means I follow the promptings and the leading of the Spirit as he, as he reminds me to call that person. I want to talk, tell you a, a story to illustrate how powerful this is. There was a time when I was driving somewhere and I had to be there at a specific time. And as I'm driving, I just hear in my, in my mind, I just thought comes into my mind, go and visit that per particular lady. And I'm like, if I do that, I'm going to be late. The thought persists. And I thought, you know what, if I'm, if I'm going to be a kind of person that walks with God, then I must take a chance that these things are God speaking to me. Yeah. And what will I lose more? If, if this is God and I don't obey, what could I lose? And I thought, I could lose a lot. So I stopped off at this lady's house and I, I knocked on her door. She lived in an apartment and I'm knocking on her door and there's no answer. And I'm about to walk away and think, oh, well, clearly I wasn't hearing God. And I just, again, get the sense. Knock on the door. I go and I knock. I knock. And then I hear faint noises inside the apartment. And at last, she comes and opens the door and she looks terrible. And I say to her, you know, I just felt like I was supposed to come and say hi. How are things going? I mean, I had no words. You know, it was like a just awkwardly arriving at someone's door at this awkward hour. She looks me in the face. She said, you know what? 
please come in. I need help. Please, will you pray for me? I said, what's going on? She said, I'm so, I'm so depressed. I was contemplating killing myself, and if you hadn't arrived, I would have done it. I was like, God, you know, I, d- I didn't want to jump up and down and look happy at that moment because, you know, it just wasn't the right time. But inside there was like, oh, God, thank you. Thank you that I listened. Thank you that I walked with you in that moment. And in following those, who knows what great exploits we can do in walking with him. So Enoch walked with God, with God but he also believed God. And, and, you know, something that I love about that is, or a picture rather that I get when I think about believing God is that as I'm walking with him, instead of just kind of like going my own way and thinking my own thoughts, it's like I take my shoelace and I tie it to his shoelace so that, so that when he takes a step, I take a step. And then I feel his movements, and I know, I know where he's going. And tying my shoelace to his shoelace, what it me- really means is I put my eggs in his basket. I let my whole life revolve around him. I say that, you know, I, I let my reputation be pegged on God's success. I say, believing you means that I believe who you are, and that everything you do will be good, and therefore I'm putting all my life into your basket. If I, want, if I could summarize it for you, I would say this. You know you believe in God when your life is centered around a joyful expectancy of his goodness. You know you believe in God when your life is centered around a joyful expectation of his goodness. Why would I want to go and do my own thing? The goodness of God compels me to say, I want to be with you because something good is going to happen. Something great is going to happen. Something good and great always happens around God, always happens in obedience to him, always happens as I follow him. A joyful expectation of the goodness of God. How many stones can you fit in a jug? Well, I did the experiment once. You can fit nine white stones in a jug. And then I thought to myself, it was the season when Mythbusters was big. You know, you remember Mythbusters. And so I'm like having my own little Mythbuster moment. So I can fit nine big white stones into a jug. How many small brown stones can I fit in a jug? Well, I didn't count them, but a lot. Andrew says 82,000, he counted them. And then I was, okay, how many of both of those can I fit in the jug? Well, clearly, if I take those big white stones and I try and put them on top of those little brown stones, I'm not going to fit many white stones in the jug. So, I put the white stones in the jug first, the big stones first, and then filled the gaps with the little brown stones, and I could fit quite a lot. There it is. All of them in that jug. And then, you, you know how Mythbusters is. It's like once they've proved or disproved the myth, they just blow everything up. 
Do you remember that? Did you all watch Mythbusters? You know, it's like they did the thing and now they're just like, how can we take it to the most extreme? You know, just like boys. You know, just let's just blow this thing up. Let's drop the hug. We, we've realized that the shock absorbers can handle falling four meters. Let's take them to the top of the highest building and see if we can drop this car there and what will happen. Yeah. So anyway, I thought, well, my version of blowing this up is let me take a jug of chocolate milk. Let's see how much we can get in this jug. Well, there you go. And yet got nearly all of that chocolate milk in the jug. And the moral of the story is that there's always room for chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what does this have to do with anything? Centering our lives around the joyful expectation of God's goodness. What does that mean? It means that the way you can know you are believing God is you look at your diary and you look at your bank statements. And if you are putting the big stones in first, you are centering all the God things in your life. The, the truth is when, when you want to get maximum use of a space, you put in the big stones first and then the small stones. So if we want to get maximum use of our life, we put the God things in our life first. We schedule first going to church. We schedule first going to connect group. We schedule first Bible study time. We schedule first times away with God. And then we put in the rest. And everything will fit. When we working out how we spend our finances, guys, this is where the rubber hits the road. We talk about great faith, but you can't have great faith unless you're walking with God and you're doing the everyday mundane things in light of His Lordship. Yes. And that means how you spend your time and how you spend your money are paramount. Yes. That means I pay my tithe first. That means I put away money for my children's education before I buy a new car. Yeah. It means I do the big important things that God values first. Yes. And then I use the leftover for the rest. And that's what makes a life look like believing God. The Bible, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus is recorded as saying this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Put the big stones first. Put the important things in first. Put the God things in first to your life, and you will find everything else will find its place. There will be a place for everything, even chocolate. And last of all, Enoch pleased God. Do you remember the first time your fingers touched that significant other's fingers? Do you remember? You were about 16 and your hand touched. It didn't mean to touch, but it did. And electricity went through your body. You were like, ah, oh, that's so exciting. Do you remember that time you came home from school and it hadn't been such a great day and you walked in and your mother had been baking chocolate chip cookies? 
and their smell was just wafting through the house. Do you remember that? And it may not have been chocolate chip cookies, you know, just that thing, that comfort food that you just needed at that moment. It might have been mac and cheese, or it might have been tomato soup, or whatever it was, you know, just, and it just, you felt the smell of love. Do you remember these things? These are just small tastes of what your relationship with God is meant to be. These are shadows of the real deal. God pleased with you. A life of pleasure and delight lived in communion with the greatest being ever. As we walk with him, as we believe him, the goal of this is not dutiful subservience. The goal of this is everything you have ever desired. Every part of you coming alive in delight in the presence of the almighty God. It's you setting on fire his heart with delight. And you looking into his eyes and seeing in return pleasure. If the goal of creation for God was to create a place where he could dwell amongst mankind, I want to propose to you that the goal of the human existence is to find joy in relationship with God. I want to propose to you that no achievement you ever achieve, (laughs) too many achieves in that sentence, but nothing you achieve will ever measure up to the electricity that will spark through your soul when you feel the pleasure of your Heavenly Father. I want to propose to you that Every joy you experience in your natural relationships, in your natural endeavors, pales in comparison to the joy that you will experience as you walk with God and you believe God, as you center all of your life around the joyful expectation of the goodness of God. I want to propose to you that every one of your gifts and your talents were meant to fully function in one place only, and that is in the presence of the Almighty God. I want to propose to you that it is impossible for you to be fully you unless you are in the presence of the Almighty God, that you were never meant to be without Him, that you cannot be you unless you're with him. And therefore, the passion, the endeavor, the driving force of every human life must be to walk with God, to believe God, and therefore to please God. Your greatest happiness will follow your greatest surrender to God. As Psalm 18 verse 19 says, he brought me out into a spacious place, a place where everything fit, where where everything had room. He rescued me because he delighted in me.
And in conclusion, as we walk with God by ordering our lives to reflect our faith in him, our greatest joys will be realized. Lord, I want to thank you for every person here. Lord God, I, I want a year where joy is unmeasurable, where it's unfettered, where life and pleasure and, and delight fills their lives. Lord, I'm reminded of how you said, I have told you these things that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. And Lord, I want to pray this for everyone here, that your joy would be in them and their joy would be full and they would find this joy as they walk with you, as they tether their lives to you, as they stake their reputation on you. As they put all their eggs in your basket, as they revolve all their lives around you. Lord God, as they do this, I am absolutely convinced that everything they've ever wanted, everything they've ever desired, everything they've ever hoped to be would come alive. Lord, and perhaps this is a selfish prayer, but Lord God, we want to be fully alive. We want to be fully in love with you. We want to be fully satisfied and we know that is only in you. So we come to you and Lord God, we again align our lives with you. And for many of you here, I know as you were hearing this, the Holy Spirit was just prompting you about certain aspects of your life and, and asking you to bring them in, to revolve them around him. And I'm going to ask you right now, you would just do personal business with God. I don't need to know what those things are. You and God, I'm asking you to just say yes. I'm asking you to say yes. That faith means saying yes to God first. Lord, we come to you and we say yes. We say yes to your leadership. We say yes to your rulership. We say yes to your provision. We say yes to your ways. We say yes to your values, Lord God. And we say, let this year be a year centered around who you are. Help us to walk with you on a daily basis. Help us to walk with you on an hourly basis. Help us to remember that you are with us. Help us to remember that we have access to all power, all grace, all life, all wisdom, every moment of the day. Let us walk with you. Let us believe you, tie our lives to you. And let us order our lives first and foremost around you. Because Lord God, the thought of pleasing you makes our hearts come alive. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.